Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our daily reading conference call on A Course in Miracles Original Edition. We read from The Course in Miracles Original Edition, which is published by our dear friends at the Course in Miracles Society. You can access an online copy of the original edition by going to jcim.net and uh, mouse over the menu atop where it says online edition. You'll see the link to read ACIMOE. This call happens... uh, My name is Lemoyne Castle, and this call happens for and with you every weekday morning from uh, about 9.15 Eastern Time to 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Today we're completing Chapter 21, The Inner Picture, with Section 9, The Inner Shift. And uh, I'm going to back up a little bit to get us started from the previous section. And uh, at the top of the hour, we'll pause for uh, touching in with our lesson for the day. Lesson 243. Today I will judge nothing that occurred. And Laurie, do you have a one of your lovely poetic openings for the call? Well, I've found a really good one. A little piece from Rumi, four paragraphs, worthy of being repeated. So it. Um, so that I can let my mind realize it reflects the inner shift. It goes like this. With every breath, I plant the seeds of devotion. I am a farmer of the heart. Day and night, I see the face of union. I am the mirror of God. Every moment, I shape my destiny with a chisel. I am the carpenter of my own soul. Unlearning is the highest form of learning. Once again, with every breath I plant the seeds of devotion. I am a farmer of the heart. Day and night I see the face of union. I am the mirror of God. Every moment I shape my destiny with a chisel. I am a carpenter of my own soul. Unlearning is the highest form of learning. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lori. Amen. Okay, I have with us in reading this morning, I have Fran, Lori, Jennifer, Robin Marie, and Karen. With us and listening is Harrison. And is there anyone else who joined the call would like to say good morning or join the reading with? Good morning. This is Ida. I'm listening. Hi, Ida. Kick back and listen. <laughs> All right. 
said I would do, I'm going to back up into the previous section, Perception of Wishes. And uh, let's see. I think, I think I start with the question. Okay, the four questions. Do I desire a world I rule instead of one which rules me? Do I desire a world where I am powerful instead of helpless? Do I desire a world in which I have no enemies and cannot sin? And do I want to see what I denied because it is the truth? So, to... Why is that final question so important? Reason will tell you why. It is the same as the other three, except in time. The others are decisions which can be made, then unmade, and made again. In content, all the questions are the same. For each one asks if you are willing to exchange the world of sin for what the Holy Spirit sees, since it is this the world of sin denies. And therefore, those who look on sin are seeing the denial of the real world. Yet the last question adds the wish for constancy in your desire to see the real world, so the desire becomes the only one you have. By answering the final question, yes, you add sincerity to the decisions you have already made to all the rest. Okay, and then from... 84, elusive happiness or happiness in changing form that shifts with time and place is an illusion which has no meaning. Happiness must be constant because it is attained by giving up the wish for the inconstant. Joy cannot be perceived except through constant vision. And constant vision can be given those only those who wish for constancy. The power of the Son of God's desire remains the proof that he is wrong who sees himself as helpless. Desire what you will, and you will look on it and think it real. No thought but has the power to release or kill, and none can leave the thinker's mind nor leave him unaffected. So, Fran, would you read 84 and then section title into the inner shift, 84 and 85. Okay. Elusive happiness or happiness and changing from that shifts with time and place is an illusion which has no meaning. Happiness must be constant because it is attained by giving up the wish for the inconstant. Joy cannot be perceived except through constant vision. And constant vision can be given only those who wish for constancy. The power of the Son of God's desire remains the proof that he is wrong, who sees himself as helpless. Desire what you will, and you will look on it and think it real. No thought but has the power to release or kill, and none can leave the thinker's mind or leave him unaffected. Section 9, The Inner Ship, 85. Are thoughts then dangerous? The bodies, yes. The thoughts that seem to kill are those which teach the thinker that he can be killed. And so he dies because of what he learned. He goes from life to death. 
the final proof he valued the inconstant more than constancy. Surely he thought he wanted happiness, yet he did not desire it because it was the truth and therefore must be constant. Thank you, Fran. And Lori? Also, chapter 21, the inner picture, section 10, the inner shift. Are thoughts then dangerous? To bodies, yes. The thoughts that seem to kill are those which teach the thinker that he can be killed. And so he dies because of what he learned. He goes from life to death. The final proof he valued the inconstant more than constancy. Surely he thought he wanted happiness, yet he did not desire it because it was the truth and therefore must be constant. 86. The constancy of joy is a condition quite alien to your understanding. Yet if you could even imagine what it must be, you would desire it, although you understand it not. Thank you, Lori and Jennifer. 86. The constancy of joy is a condition quite alien to your understanding. Yet if you could even imagine what it must be, you would desire it although you understand it not. The constancy of happiness has no exceptions, no change of any kind. It is unshakable as is the love of God for his creation. Sure in its vision as its creator is in what he knows. It looks on everything and sees it in the same. It sees not the equitable <laughs> for it desires that everything be like itself and sees it so. Nothing has power to confound its constancy because its own desire cannot be shaken. It comes as surely unto those who see the final question is necessary to the rest. As peace must come to those who choose to heal and not to judge. Thank you, Jennifer and Robin Marie. Are you on mute, Robin Marie? No change of any kind. It is unshakable, as is the love of God for his creation. Sure in its vision, as its creator is, in what he knows, it looks on everything and sees it is the same. It sees not the ephemeral, for it desires that everything be like itself and sees it so. Nothing has power to confound its constancy because its own desire cannot be shaken. It comes as surely unto those who see the final question is necessary to the rest. 
as peace must come to those who choose to heal and not to judge. 88. Reason will tell you that you cannot ask for happiness inconstantly. For if what you desire you receive, and happiness is constant, then you need ask for it but once, to have it always. And if you do not have it always, being what it is, you did not ask for it. For no one fails to ask for his desire of something he believes holds out some promise of the power of giving it. He may be wrong in what he asks, where and of what, yet he will ask because desire is a request and asking for and made by one whom God himself will never fail to answer. God has already given him all that he really wants, yet what he is uncertain of, God cannot give. For he does not desire it while he remains uncertain, and God's giving must be incomplete until it is received. Thank you, Robin Marie and Karen. 88. Reason will tell you that you cannot ask for happiness inconstantly. For if what you desire you receive and happiness is constant, then you need ask for it but once, to have it always. And if you do not have it always, being what it is, you did not ask for it. For no one fails to ask for his desire of something he believes holds out some promise of the power of giving it. He may be wrong in what he asks, where and of what, yet he will ask because desire is a request and asking for and made by one whom God himself will never fail to answer. God has already given him all that he really wants, yet what he is uncertain of, God cannot give, for he does not desire it while he remains uncertain. And God's giving must be incomplete unless it is received. 89. You who complete God's will and are his happiness, whose will is powerful as his, a power that is not lost in your illusions, think carefully why it should be you have not yet decided how you would answer the final question. Your answer to the others has made it possible to help you, to help you be but partially insane. And yet it is the final one that really asks if you are willing to be wholly sane. Thank you, Karen. And is there a new reader for 89 and 90? I can read. Great. You who complete God's will and are his happiness, whose will is powerful as his, a power 
that is not lost in your illusions. Think carefully why should be you have not yet decided how you would answer the final question. Your answer to the others has made it possible to help you be but partially insane. And yet, it is the final one that really asks if you are willing to be wholly sane. What is the holy instant but God's appeal to you to recognize what he has given me? Here is the great appeal to reason, the awareness of what is already there to see, the happiness that could be always yours. Here is the constant peace you could experience forever. Here is what denied has denied. It does get. Here is what denial has denied revealed to you. For here the final question is already answered. And what you ask for, given. Here is the future now. For time is powerless because of your desire for what will never change. For you have asked that nothing stand between the holiness of your relationship and your awareness of its holiness. Thank you, Harrison. And is there another new reader to conclude with 90? Another new reader for 90? Okay, back to you, Bran. 90. What is the holy instant but God's appeal to you to recognize what he has given you? Here is the great appeal to reason, the awareness of what is always there to see, the happiness that could be always yours. Here is the constant peace you could experience forever. Here is what denial has denied revealed to you. For here the final question is already answered and what you ask for given. Here is the future now. Excuse me. For time is powerless because of your desire for what will never change. For you have asked that nothing stand between the holiness of your relationship and your awareness of its holiness. Thank you, Bran. And, uh, yeah, I think this section's short enough rather than do a summary. 
we'll just read it again, if uh, y'all are willing. And to switch it up, I will. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. Sounds good. Yeah, I like it. Okay, and to switch it up, I will do the reverse. Try and do the reverse order. So. <coughs> Step, or I think we have time to stair step it, or do you want to just read it straight through? <clears throat> Let's just read it straight through. Okay, Harrison, would you read 85? Eighty-five. Are thoughts been dangerous to bodies? Yes. The thoughts that seem to kill are those which teach the thinker that he can be killed. And so he dies because of what he learned. He goes from life to death. The final proof he valued the inconstant more than constancy. Surely he thought he wanted happiness, yet he did not desire it because it was the truth and therefore must be constant. Thank you, Harrison. And Karen? The constancy of joy is a condition quite alien to your understanding. Yet, if you could even imagine what it is, what it must be, you would desire it, although you understand it not. Okay. Thank you. And Jennifer, would you read 87? The constancy of happiness has no exceptions, no change of any kind. It is unshakable, as is the love of God for his creation. Sure in its vision, as its creator is, and what he knows, he looks on everything and sees it, is the same. It sees not the ephemeral, for <laughs> it desires that everything be like itself and see so. Nothing has power to confound its constancy because its own desire cannot be shaken. It comes as surely unto those who see the final question is necessary to the rest as peace must come to those who choose to heal and not to judge. Thank you, Jennifer. And Robin Murray, did you read 88? 
Reason will tell you that you cannot ask for happiness constantly. For if what you desire you receive and happiness is constant, then you need ask for it but once, to have it always. And if you do not have it always, being what it is, you did not ask for it. For no one fails to ask for his desire of something he believes holds out some promise of the power of giving it. He may be wrong in what he asks, where, and of what. Yet he will ask because desire is a request and asking for, and made by one whom God himself will never fail to answer. God has already given him all that he really wants, yet what he is uncertain of, God cannot give, for he does not desire it while he remains uncertain. And God's giving must be incomplete unless it is received. Thank you, Robin Marie. And uh, Fran. 89. <clears throat> you who complete God's will and are his happiness, whose will is powerful as his, a power that is not lost on your illusion, think carefully why it should be you have not yet decided how you would answer the final question. Your answer to the others has made it possible to help you be but partially insane. And yet it is the final one that really asks if you are willing to be wholly sane. Thank you, Fran. And Lori? What is the holy instant that God's appeal to you to recognize what he's given you? Here is the great appeal to reason, the awareness of what is always there to see, the happiness that could be always yours. Here is the constant peace you could experience forever. Here is what denial has denied, revealed to you. For here the final question is already answered in what you ask for given. Here is the future now, for time is powerless because of your desire for what will never change. You have asked that nothing stand between the holiness of your relationship and your awareness of its holiness. Amen. Amen. Yeah, thank you, Lori. And yeah, we have ten minutes before the top of the hour, so floor is open. Good morning, Lemoyne. May I read that paragraph again, please? Um, sure, Judy. Go ahead. Please. What is the holy instant but God's appeal to us to recognize what he has given us? Here is the great appeal to reason, the awareness of what is always here to see, the happiness that could always be ours. Here is the constant peace we could experience forever. Here is what denial has denied, revealed to us. For here is the final question already answered 
and what we ask for given. Here is the future now, for time is powerless because of our desire for what will never change. For we have asked that nothing stand between the holiness of our relationship and our awareness of its holiness. Amen. Thank you, Lemoyne. Thank you, everyone, for reading. Thank you for reading that again. Perfect. Thank you. Good morning. It's Karen. Um, Just a thought I had. I know it's obvious, but I thought I'd say it out loud. Um, Do I want to see what I denied because it is the truth? Do I want to make the inner shift? And and what I feel is that the inner shift is to non-duality. The constancy of joy is a condition alien to my understanding. Reverend Pam always says, love without opposite, love without opposite. It's the same, constancy of joy. Constancy of joy means no matter what is happening, I'm in joy. Someone shared that in the... Um, earlier call, something about beyond judgment is just the constancy of being joy. Even when things are not going well, there's a constancy of joy. It looks on everything the same. It has no exceptions. It has no specialness. Um, What else? And time is powerless. And when we go into the holy instant, um, we go into the state of non-duality. We step out of time, and we're in that place where we are already establishing the truth. And that's why it's telling us that the holy instant gives us the experience that we've denied and it's revealed to us. What we've denied is revealed to us in the holy instant. And that we can have it. Because nothing stands between the holiness of our relationship and our awareness of our holiness. In that moment of the holy instant, we step into non-duality. We step into the constancy of joy. We step into the place where the question is answered. I do want to see what I denied because it is the truth. We, but we, we need to live in the holy instant, I guess is what I'm trying to say. That would be the inner shift, living in the holy instant permanently. I'm complete. Well, that was nail on the head, Karen. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Karen. That was great, Karen. Thank you. Karen, thank you for reminding us of that invitation. Yes, thank you, Karen. Um, I'd just like to flip that around and, and, and say that the constancy of who we are, the changelessness of who we are always, we don't come and go from that. We come and go into separation. That's why the holy instant is available in, in eternity, because 
who we are as God created us is a perfectly joyful, peaceful condition, state of mind. It's unshakable. It's unchangeable. It's undisturbable. That's what makes it constant and consistent and always available and always dependable and always oh, certain. The certainty. The certainty of God suffices. And all certainty is of God. And it's always available. It, it's changeless. And that's who we are. That's why we can rest in peace. It's our natural factory settings. It is the way that God created us. Being purely mind, purely spirit, in a state of unity, a state of grace. That the ego cannot prevail against the united power and safety and comfort and constant consistency changelessness of how God created us to be. When we're not at peace, when we're not happy, we're not knowing the truth of who we are. And we're denying the truth. The text says, deny the denial of the truth. Anytime I have a thought that's that's less than perfectly happy, perfectly peaceful, I've forgotten who I am. The truth of who I am sets me free from everything. God's certainty guarantees my freedom, my happiness, my peace, my limitless joy. Amen. I'm complete. Thank you. Thank you, Judy. Thank you, Judy. This is Jennifer. Um, in '86, the I just I don't know. I just wanted to to um, try and translate a little bit. But the constancy of joy is a condition quite alien to your understanding, and I just saw it as my understanding. If I'm just in my mind. That I'm, I'm not understanding. And he says, yet if you could even imagine what it must be. Well, imagination comes from God. So imagination is that connection. If we land in our mind heart, which is always, that connection is always there. If we decide to just drop a little lower into our chest and make that connection between the mind-heart, you would desire it, although you understand it not. So I don't understand everything. Um, I have to say I just don't know. (laughs) But I'm coming to know as I'm open in my heart-mind to, to imagine this constancy of joy. I'm complete. Oh, that was beautiful. Thank you, Jennifer. 
always you, coming Kim. to know. I really love you guys too. You guys, on in the first paragraph, I don't know if anybody could help me um, better look at the last two sentences. Surely he thought he wanted happiness. I, um, yeah, he did not desire it because it was the truth and therefore must be constant. I don't know if anybody can help me with that. This is my first time reading this. I would love to give it a shot. Anyone else want to give it a shot? Um, I'm not big on following the time, but that's a that's a great question, and I think maybe we can touch in with the lesson now here, and then uh, and then reconsider. <laughs> what we make of happiness, yeah. Oh, wonderful. Thank you, Lemoyne. Great idea. Okay. Thank you, Lemoyne. Thank you, Jerry. Great idea. Okay, I'm here. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Thanks. <laughs> we are in the second part of the workbook, and the theme that we're on is What is the World? And today's lesson is 243. Today I will judge nothing that occurs. So I shall read some from What is the World, and then we will go over to the lesson and do a five-minute practice. What is the world? The world is false perception. It is born of error and has not left its source. It will remain no longer than the thought which gave it birth is cherished. When the thought of separation has been changed to one of true forgiveness, will the world be seen in quite another light? As sight was made to lead away from truth, it can be redirected. Sounds become the call of God, and all perception can be given a new purpose by the one whom God appointed Savior to the world. Follow his light and see the world as he beholds it. Hear his voice alone in all that speaks to you. And let him give you peace and certainty, which you have thrown away, that heaven has preserved for you in him. Let us not rest content until the world has joined our changed perception. Let us not be satisfied until forgiveness has been made complete. And let us not attempt to change our function. We must save the world. For we who made it must behold it through the eyes of Christ, that what was made to die be restored to everlasting life. And now we'll go over to the lesson. Lesson 243. Today I will judge nothing that occurs. I will be honest with myself today. I will not think that I already know what must remain beyond my present grasp. I will not think I understand the whole from bits of my perception, which are all that I can see. Today, 
I recognize that this is so, and so I am relieved of judgment which I cannot make. Thus do I free myself and what I look upon to be in peace as God created us. Father, today I leave creation free to be itself. I honor all its parts in which I am included. We are one because each part contains your memory and truth must shine in all of us as one. We'll go to the, do the five-minute practice. Lesson 243. Today, I will judge nothing that occurs. Five minutes.
Lesson 243. Today, I will judge nothing that occurs. Amen. Thank you, Fran. Amen. Thanks, Fran. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Fran, and everybody. Thank you, Fran. This is friend. I think it's amazing how he says, I will judge nothing. He doesn't say, I will judge not, I will judge, I'll not judge the bad stuff. He says, I will judge nothing that occurs. Wow. I never thought of that before. <laughs> Complete. You know, um, <laughs> thank you, friend. <laughs> The next thing I think is, what does that feel like to judge nothing? And um, in this moment, it just felt like I was in some way standing literally like I'm in a dream. And I'm um, one one foot on the ground and very much in heaven. But I, it's a, kind of a, a dream feel. And it's where my eyes kind of um, are not completely in focus in this feeling. And um, I just have a small smile on my face. So I, I invite you to, to ask, what does that feel like? And you will be given it. And that's what I'm asking for today, is to stay conscious of what he's asking and to ground in the feeling and then there I am. Well, thanks for that. That was good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This is how it's to judge anything uh, I generally think that I have all the facts I know uh, everything I need to know uh, in order to make a judgment I've heard all the evidence if you will. And uh, so uh, it's kind of arrogant to think that I know 
How could I? If there's one thing I've learned from the Course is that I can't judge anything of myself. I I can't know all there is to know in order to judge anything. And fortunately, what I've learned is that there is one who knows, and that's the Holy Spirit. God gave the Holy Spirit to me to be the source of all the information I need in order to make the right decision. This lesson says, I will not think that I already know what must must remain beyond my present grasp. I can't know it of myself. So, since I can't know anything of myself, then it's in my best interest to refrain from judging anything because I don't know enough. I don't know what's around the corner, but the Holy Spirit knows. And if I rely on Holy Spirit's judgment, Holy Spirit's knowledge, and just humbly step back and let him lead the way, then he will guide me to the truth. I'm complete. Okay, and that was so good. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thank you, Harrison. Thank you, Harrison. I always say, sorry, this is Ida. I always say the only one who could possibly judge anything would be God. And God chooses not to judge. That's why they say God is love. In real time, you would have to have the mind of God. You would have to have the love of God in real time every single solitary moment in order to judge. But God's so busy loving, he doesn't have time, excuse the expression, to judge. <laughs> Complete. Thanks, Ida. Thanks, Ida. Well, I'm sitting here in uh, Fort Bragg waiting to go to work. And there, it, there was a red moon this morning and a red sun right now. And I am 
not anxious, but I am praying for those people who are experiencing the fire that is causing this sun to be red and thanking God for all those people who are fighting that fire, fires. Thank you. Thank you, Robin Marie. Thank you, Robin Marie. Good morning, it's Karen. Um, I thought about, sometimes I don't know, I can't sense the Holy Spirit. And today in meditation on the other call, it felt like that place where I'm wide open and there's no judgment. That place where I'm receiving and accepting the divine, peace, light, truth, joy, um, that place where I'm empty of my ego mind and, and not in judgment. And that felt like, yeah, that's the Holy Spirit. That's the place where my I'm in my higher self and the Holy Spirit is completely filling me and I'm not operating from my mind, my ego mind. And then I had this thought just now in this meditation where it felt like the world that I perceive is the place I'm in when I'm not in that place of being open and aligned, the place where my ego mind is operating. And um, I had this experience of feeling like when I woke up this morning and I was meditating, I felt kind of uh, introspection about how I'm just repeating a pattern and I'm stuck in a pattern. And, and it's an ego habit energy. It's an elemental, which means it's, a, it's like a thought form, feeling form energy that I created. I miscreated it. I manifested it. I'm stuck in it when I'm in my ego mind, not when I'm in my Holy Spirit mind. But whenever I slip into that unconscious place, that's the falsehood of the world. That's exactly what the falsehood of the world is. It's when I slip into that place and it's ego identification, but it's it's like an energy form. And the and the way out felt like being in the Holy Spirit mind in that place where I shine the light of love and truth and peace, where I shine that and I'm empty. There's no judgment. There's no me thinking I understand or know anything because I don't know anything. I don't understand anything. My ego is just trapped in a bunch of illusions from the habit energy. So when I'm in the Holy Spirit, which is like the Holy Instant, when I step into that place, the Holy Spirit can undo all my crazy thoughts, all my ego illusions, all my false perceptions of the world. And I think today's reading and that inner shift is to make the decision that I want that all the time. I want that all the time. I don't want to go back and forth. Somehow, um, it doesn't feel possible right now, but coming back to Holy Instinct constantly is possible now. But when I was looking at at what the falsehood was, I understood what was unfinished. And yesterday, one of the people on the call was saying that 
You know, sometimes we descend against the healing process with our positive thinking. It's it's like I'm going to stay positive. I'm not going to judge. I'm not, you know I'm accepting this, and it's sort of like a defense against the opportunity to really heal it and let it go. And just by by being in the Holy Spirit mind and looking at the falsehood, it felt like it opened up the opportunity for that to be transformed. So there was like a place where I missed the missed the step, and the step was, you know, I'm trying to be in the non-judgment, but I don't take the time to look at the falsehood, to let go of the energy of it. And there was all this emotional energy that came up. When I when I went that route, and that's kind of what Lori, the book you referred us to yesterday, and the thought that you know let the feelings pass through you. It's, it's like a, a disconnect in that. And anyway, it was it was very um, healing to be in the Holy Spirit state, in that mind of my higher self, and to and to just look squarely at what I'm denying. And let it go. I'm complete. Thank you. Oh, that was very beautiful, Karen. Karen, that Thanks. was Karen. great. Thank you for sharing that. So practical. Thanks, Karen. Thank you, Karen. Thank you. I'd love to hear. Love to hear what Judy has to say about that paragraph. Well, maybe um, Jennifer, you could, uh, you know, state state your question, maybe <laughs> about those last two sentences. In Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So guys, uh, the inner shift, um, first paragraph 85, um, I just wanted um, more clarity on the last two sentences and um, anybody who's open to uh, sharing their, you know, their heaven on earth on that, that would be great. Um, Surely he thought... He wanted happiness, yet he did not desire it because it was the truth and therefore must be constant. Thank you. Hi, guys. Um, this is Jude, and I have um, just in um, a moment of stillness asking for the right words to come from the place of truth, because only the truth can share the truth <laughs> of itself. This is a new practice I'm learning how to do. But in my understanding, my understanding that I've learned, and um, it's from the Course, practicing the lessons of the Course, that all perception is temporal and changing. And that's why when perception comes to an end, 
is when we will know the truth and be one with our Father in wholeness and completion. And then I will exist no more. The sense of personal self will exist no more. But in the meantime, here, in time, is, is to state the truth of it, that um, all things change in time. Um, and I think that word ephemeral, ephemeral, um, the creator in the, in the following paragraph, it speaks of this, that Christ's consciousness in God sees everything as itself, sees it purely as love in its vision, which does not see through the body's eyes, because the body's eyes are just receptors of perceptions of a, of a temporal, ephemeral world. Ephemeral, the definition of ephemeral is short-lived, fleeting. It actually means day in Greek. It comes from the Greek word, which means day, lasting a short period of time or fleeting. And that um, everything in the world, including our experiences, even experiences or states that can change, states of minds minds that can change, are ephemeral. And what we are is a constant, changeless, permanent, permanent. It doesn't change. It's forever. It's eternal. It always is the same. What is the same cannot be different. And what is God is eternally the same. It's eternally love and it's eternally happiness. So the, the inconstant seeking for happiness is what we do in the world. We're in a body. We're looking outside of ourselves towards objects we think are other than ourselves and wanting to... Um, seek and find our happiness outside of ourselves. Now, the Course teaches us that we're purely mind, one mind in the mind of God. That is a constant, perfect, changeless... It's not a state. It's, it's the kingdom of heaven. It's beyond attributes. It's beyond definition. And it's so... It's something we can know, and that's the difference between perception and knowing it and being it. We have to be happiness itself. We have to be peacefulness itself. We have to stand in the truth of who we are in order to know it. The only way to know it is to be it, to knowingly be aware that I am all of God's creation in, in, in my awareness, in my consciousness, in my oneness. I am purely mind and spirit. I have to learn to live in the truth of that truth that I am. I am that I am. All that I am. All that God is, that is what I am. So that's the changeless permanent ground, my ground zero. You know, and ex- expressing it through the body. You know, that we think we have needs, that we think things outside of us bring us happiness is the ego's way of seeking temporal happiness, a happiness that's contingent 
on things outside of me, which are unnecessary. It's a false misperception. It's a misperception, not only of who I am, but of, of needs and wants that I don't really need or want. And if um, I understand the truth of who I am, you know, reason will tell me that I can't ask for happiness inconstantly. That's higher spiritual reasoning. Using the reasoning, the constant joyful, the joyfulness that this calling upon the Holy Spirit. The more holy instance I practice during the day, the more constant and changeless I, I recognize the truth of who I am to be. I have to, it's, enlightenment isn't a ha, something that happens to a person. It's something that a person wakes up, up out of up being in a dream state. We're dreaming that we're, and thinking that we're a body and a, a separate person. To wake up, to wake up, to be enlightened is to know that I am the light that's making this grand projection, including myself as a body. I am a part of the one mind that's doing this projection with the light that is itself, purely light, purely love, purely the light of knowledge that everything is itself. It's just one big projection. <laughs> it's enough out of me. I, it's as clear as I can make it. It's uh, beyond words, so it's knowing to knowingly be it. It's how we experience it. And um, it's something that we're experiencing all the time, but we layer over, superimpose this false identification of itself, of an ego self, thinking, all the thinking. Let go of all the thinking, pretty much. That's all. The end. Oh, man. Thank, Thank you, Judy. Wow. Thank you, Judy. Thank Thanks, Judy. This is Sandra, and um, the way that we abort that mission that you're talking about is through our judgment. I'm complete. Thank you, Sandra. Amen. Yes, well, that that's so fundamental to my understanding that all perception, all perception through the body through my senses, through my thinking mind in the body, and the and feelings and emotions. And I don't know, Lori or Lemoyne, maybe you can um, refer us back to the proper use of our feelings, that if we feel disturbed, um, irritated, or, or um, any loss of peace or happiness, um, that's the proper use of judgment. The only proper use of judging ourselves is to know that I'm disturbed, that I'm not happy. I'm not happy. I'm not at peace. I'm not, I'm not joyful. I'm not feeling love in my heart. Proper use of judgment. Uh, thank you. Yeah, I, I see that more as acceptance, right? At least I can accept I do not like the way I feel right now. 
and uh, and it is, you know, um, I think it's necessary to change, well, <clears throat> to reap that kind of realization is necessary because in the rules for decision, which I quoted there, it continually returns to choose the kind of day that you would have, right? You know, happiness, joy, peace, this, you know, choose that and it will be given you if we don't interfere, I think is <laughs> the main thing. And so on this paragraph, um, yeah, I, I wound it back so we have this in in uh, in a context about thoughts being dangerous. Because I think our biggest problem is fearing our own thoughts. This is one of our bigger biggest problems. We have a thought of fear, and then we fear it, and we're we're already beyond hip deep, you know. Um, and so you know, I, let me let me try this. <laughs> To keep it brief, you know, I my <laughs> I had a disaster one day, first day out in the world, really, and uh, <clears throat> my dad. I talked to my dad about it in the last little, you know, I don't know, in the last decade or so, and he said, "Yeah, it was like you turned yourself off one day," and uh, yeah, it was it was this that I picked up thoughts. That that I accepted the lesson that was being projected on me, and that the threats were real, and uh, and I began to live and constantly relating to life through fear of shame and uh, uh, exile or imprisonment, whatever that is. Right, which lead often to death, right? <clears throat> and so I, I lived in I lived in fear of the shame, which represented death for me, and I and it just cut me, cuts off life. I can't. I, I, the judgment is uh, a tripartite judgment, I think, against myself, life, and God. You know, don't hate life. Whoever started this mess needs to be called to account, right? And uh, and I was it's just not having any fun living that way, but that's the way it was for a long time. So, um, you know, come up as an existential fear just because somebody drops a, a not even anything that breaks or crashes, but you know, couldn't stand going into restaurants where people laugh, I would break out into a sweat thinking they're laughing at me. And it's all, you know, that that imposition of judgment on life between, inevitably comes between me and my experience of life. <laughs> so, you know, joy went out the window and peace is gone in the uh, in the fear of judgment. Uh, which is itself a judgment on on our on myself in this case. So, yeah, that was my judgment on myself. That fear judgment, I think. And uh, 
that's one of the beauties of this course. I mean, the, the last judgment, I believe, was issued right at the beginning of creation, right? It's like, kind of like, we're, we're just having fun here, and it's all love, and I love it all. And that's the, that's the judgment that, <laughs> um, I still think it's more of, it's God's judgment on, on the whole creation, right? So our, our role is just to accept it. Uh, and it doesn't require any effort or judging on our part or looking for evidence or anything, but to just, uh, you know, let go of our own judgments, which would restrict ourselves or the world or, you know, seem to create fear and threat when, you know, um, you know, crime, crime happens, but it's actually very, very rare. <laughs> it's episodal, doesn't happen to most people, but everybody kind of fears it. So it's that kind of judgment on the world that it really crimps on life, right? We want the happiness, but the way we're going away, this, this way of trying to fight off the bad doesn't emphasize that the happiness is the truth and it's just there. That uh, I guess I lost lost my love of life and lost you know, simultaneously lost the um, vision of life as love. Okay. So there. And that's the, th- that's the kind of thought that will kill turns into fighting off death or whatever, just living in that context. Anyway, um, it's, it's strange, still strangely challenging, but uh, it must be constant. I'm complete. Thanks, Lorraine. Oh, that was just, thank you so much for sharing that. If, if I may thank share, Lemoyne. Thank you. Thank you, Lillian. If I could share. Thank you for your heartfelt share. Amen. Thank you Um, so much. I I watched my daughter shut down. She was 11, just turning 12, and her mother was on her deathbed. And she came to realize that life was a lie. Everything she knew about life was a lie. And you could see her shut down. You could see her get angry. And thoughts came out of her that she had never even thought of thinking before. And from that moment on, happiness was the last thing she wanted. Um... So now she's just turned 26. She's been through it. She's got tattoos from it. And she's that much wiser from it. But she went through it. But something inside her kept her going. And that is what keeps each of us going regardless of how far shut down we get inside ourselves. 
So I just thought I'd share that, Lemoyne, because uh, it was my personal experience with my daughter, and I saw her champion herself, and she's still coming through, but she's much stronger because of it. So I thank you, Lemoyne, for opening up and sharing. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Shelby. Thank you, Charles. Thank you, Charles, and, and thank you, Lemoyne. That was just perfect. Thank you, Charles. It's Harrison. I think about how really the only thing that gets, creates problems for me is judgment. My own personal judgment. And as you were talking, Charles, animal, all I could think about is what the Course says. Says it it's not that you should not judge. You cannot judge. And really, in order to, to make an accurate judgment of anything, I have to be aware of uh, many things, thousands of facts that I do not know. And I don't have access to. I, I, I have to be able to see beyond my present grasp in order to make uh, an accurate judgment of anything. And so the best thing I can do is to leave judgment to one who knows. Turn it over to the Holy Spirit. Say, okay. You can see around the corners. You can see beyond my present grasp. Please judge for me. Judge this person, judge this situation, judge me. I'm complete. Thank you, Harrison. Thank you, Harrison. Thank you, Harrison. Thank you, Harrison. Thank you, you, Harrison. (laughs) 
That was really great, Harrison. We really can't judge. We don't really have that ability. I love how you just drove that home. Thank you for the reminder. I would like to, um, I don't have my book in front of me, I'm outside now, but the the last line in, in the text today, because, you know, that line, I, I reread it like a couple months ago, and the last line really stuck in my head, and um, to see holiness, let not any one thought come between holiness and uh, my awareness of it, you know, that there, there would not be one thought that would separate my mind from the mind of God, that my mind is holy because my mind is a part of God's and everything that my mind sees is holy as itself. It sees everything as itself. And, you know, the simplicity of that, um, you know, that the ego would make it seem so difficult, but it... It really is just Jude stepping back and get just letting go of everything that she thinks and just see things, see life, all of life. Life is our curriculum. We don't get to pick and choose our, our lessons. All of life is the one big lesson. It's the one big projection that I am what I see. God's looking through my eyes. That is what vision is. I'm using God the awareness of God in my own mind, which is such a holy thought, the holiest of holy thoughts, that God is on first and foremost on the altar of my mind, in my awareness, that I would ask to look through his eye, that I would say, acknowledge and claim that he's given me the means to see my own holiness. Using the means, the means to be aware of the truth of who I am, the holy instant, holy encounters. Everything is a holy encounter. I just reread Lesson 252 because it's, it speaks of in the text today about the, um, the joyfulness that is an alien, I, even idea to to our understanding, and the idea of our holiness um, to re remind us of our of our holiness, which is beyond our mind to even imagine. The purity of the light that is the purity of the love of the intensity and the brilliancy of the light that projects everything, the whole cosmos. We're not talking about something that's little and comprehensible by the human brain. This is way beyond it. So, okay, <laughs> I'll stop there. <laughs> I love you guys. We're all in it together. Thank you. I'm complete. Thank you, Judy. Thank you, Judy. <laughs> This is Lemoyne. I want to try and tie that last sentence to the previous discussion so that the 
It says, for you have asked that nothing stand between the holiness of your relationship and your awareness of its holiness. And uh, this, uh, it, I think it could be said that there's true power there. It's a shared power, but it's there in the awareness. It's I know it can't be used, but it can. We can be devoted. This awareness is attention. We can be devoted to the holiness of all relationship, <clears throat> and that's that's the call there. You know, it took it took me a long time to realize, recognize, and I had to repeat it to myself many times that the uh it just where it was appropriate that um truth needs no defense it just calls for expression and uh yeah there's it's an important part of of the whole cycle i think is is uh maybe what's missing is our reception of what's there. And uh, I'm complete there. Um, And I shouldn't project it on anybody else. Maybe that's my issue. (laughs) Yeah. Just the failure to completely accept what is. Anyway, Lori, do you have a do you have anything to say on this subject? I, I do, I do, and um, and thank you for asking. Um, it, you know, my holy instant was years and years and years ago in time, but the marvelous thing about it is that it's just like he said. What's true in that instant is true forever. And, um, and, and, you know, he says that the separation, separation was not an actual thing, uh, not an actual loss of perfection, not a loss of perfection, but a failure in communication. And out of that failure in communication arose the ego thought system. But there are only two thought systems. That's all. There's only two. One is the ego thought system, which is based entirely on perceived loss of perfection and seeing that judgment everywhere. Or the thought system of truth which was not a loss of perfection, but the restoration of the truth in the holy mind of God's Son. Love. Just love. So one thought system is based entirely on judgment and storytelling and the assignment of meaning by a fragment of the mind that forgot who it is. And the thought system of truth where all true meaning resides. 
so to me that's the um that's the essence of paragraph eighty four that there are only two thought systems, and if my desire you know, desire is power that is my power. My desire for truth will bring truth to my mind. My desire for storytelling will bring storytelling to my mind. So what is my mind? What is my mind? It's God's mechanism for restoring me to the truth of my perfection that I never lost. I am as God created me. Love created me like itself, remember? Could I do that by myself? No. It's impossible. It's impossible because we're conditioned into the thought system of of the ego where I have given everything I see, all the meaning that it has for me. What I see is a form of vengeance. Remember those first 20 lessons? I need help. And help is here. I look this morning at chapter 4 which is the root of all evil. And two sections in particular uh, come to mind. Love without conflict and escape from fear. The ego thought system, of course, judgment is always based on fear. You said you only have two emotions. One is love and one is fear. I forgot. I forgot the nature of love. I forgot my true identity. That's what he means when he says in paragraph 87, happiness is constant and unshakable. It looks on everything and desires that everything be like itself and sees it so. He, he gave us some lessons for this, you know, uh, to have, give all to all, teach peace to learn it, and be vigilant only for God and his kingdom. In the ego thought system, uh, that's nowhere near my experience. But if I use those lessons to have give all to all, teach peace to learn it, and be vigilant only for God and his kingdom, truth will dawn upon my mind. And I have a real strong go-to as regards this matter of joyousness. Um... Because, because precisely in these intervening years, I spent a long time having forgotten my joyousness and praying, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. It's not that the joy of my salvation disappeared. I did. I did. I took my mind and I went sailing into the ego thought system with my belief in death, grief, and loss. Never once asking what is the truth of this. But he says, whenever you are not joyous, whenever you are not joyous, you have thought wrongly about some soul God created. And in that sentence, the word soul is capitalized. When I'm not joyous, I've thought wrongly about some soul God created. To restore unto me the joy of my salvation is restore unto me the truth of my holy mind. That's all. 
the truth of the thought system of truth, which is love. I can have vision or judgment, but I must learn that I can never have both. And and it's a simple lesson, really, when you when you get down to it. It's only the ego that makes it hard. It's only when I listen to the voice of my ego that I have difficulty. But learning not to listen to that voice is to unlearn. That's why I love the opening this morning. Unlearning is the highest form of learning. Unlearning the lessons that I taught myself. So whenever I'm not joyous, I thought wrongly about some soul God created. That soul is always me. If I'm thinking wrongly about myself, I'm going to project that error into the world. That's just how it works. And then I'm going to see it. And so I need a correction. I I need my mind to return to truth. And so um, this morning I thought, what is the only truth? What is what is the only truth? What is the highest form in which I could express that only truth? And the highest form of that only truth is the altar to holiness. That majestic altar to holiness and truth that reaches up to heaven. You know, he says heaven, heaven is not a separate state. It's the state of mind of a mind that remembers the truth. He says, you'll never understand what it means when he says the kingdom of God is within you until you understand the kingdom of God is you. What else did the Father create but the self, capital S, self of God, the Son of God? There's nothing outside of you. It's all mind and only mind, and it's all love and only love. When I went sailing into the ego thought system, I thought wrongly about myself. I thought wrongly about some soul God created. No, that this need not be, he says. This need not be. What have you thought? The thoughts create my internal weather, you know. My judgmental thoughts make judgmental weather, and that judgmental weather gets projected onto the world so that I forget everything true. What have you thought that God would not have thought? And what has God thought that you failed to think, then change your mind to think with God? That's all. And, and, I thought it was so hard, you know, in those intervening years where I was sailing into the ego thought system. Um, and then I joined this group and I realized I didn't have a practice. I, I, I had forgotten my practice. I'd forgotten my practice of sitting and doing the lessons because every lesson holds out to me and experience the truth. And truth will correct all errors in my mind. 
It's my mind that has the errors when I think wrongly about the souls God created. I think wrongly about the kingdom of heaven. I think wrongly about creation. I think wrongly about God. I think wrongly about myself. I'm sorry that phone's ringing. Um, But I'm not going to let it distract me from this. Because heaven is a state of mind. The awareness of perfect unity. And whenever, whenever I'm wrong, I realize that in my mind, there is a light of awareness. One year, after I joined this group, I was repotting all my orchids. We had a bunch of them, and, and they were all gifts from people in the hospital who didn't want the flowers after the flowers were gone, you know. So we're nursing all these orchids. And it was so simple. I realized that when I loved these orchids, and I look for the best in them. I see it. And I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to practice it. This is something. This is really something. I thought to myself as I looked out the window at the grass that wasn't growing, where the sod had been laid, and I thought, you know what? This is a bad habit I have. It's a very bad habit where I look for problems instead of truth. I look for the grass that isn't growing instead of the grass that is. I look for the flowers that aren't there instead of the potential that is. It's a habit. It's just a bad habit. And uh, then I remembered, he said, you've been called to live so as not to be an ego. And I realized that in every situation, every situation that I previously thought, you know, I started looking for this. I started looking for what happens with the light of my awareness. And and some guys came to help me with the mailbox, and I thought, these guys are stoners. You know, they're going to they're gonna take my money and go out and have a good time. Habit, 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 said my mind. And so I looked for the good, and the good it was made manifest. And then problems with the house. It looked like this, but I looked for the good and the good was made manifest. And problems at the pharmacy window and I looked for the good and the good was made manifest. And I realized the light of my awareness is the light of truth. It's an inner state. It's my inner weather, you know. And when my weather's bad, I'm going to see storms. But when my weather's true, I'm going to see blessing. Every lesson, every lesson is another example of how my thoughts can be corrected. Today I'll judge nothing that occurs because it's a really bad habit. I'm going to use the light of my awareness for for the purpose God gave it to me, for truth. Whenever I'm not joyous, know that this need not be. Listen to the voice of Jesus, my friend. This need not be. This need not be, Lori. You thought wrongly about capital soul God created. Change your mind to think with God. There's a natural way of knowing that. It's the Holy Spirit. Is part of God and part of me. All my knowledge saved for me that I might do my will. I don't have to go find it. It's there in my mind the minute, the minute I give up my wrong thoughts. 
the very instant. I was reading something yesterday. Thoughts move at the speed of of like 23 billion miles a second. They've measured it. They figured out how to measure how fast thoughts move. In that instant, in that instant, I can change my mind. And when I do, I experience consciency, the joy of my salvation, the bliss of being home. I want to protect my weather today. I'm complete. Thank you, Lori. I love your weather. Thank you, Lori. Thank you, Lori. It's beautiful. Thanks, Lori. I just want to say that, that I just wanted to say that that line that you that you referred to from your opening that um that I taught myself badly to unlearn I need to unlearn to learn to unlearn the falsehood that I taught myself is really the most powerful thing that jumped out at me this morning also I'm so Yeah, boy, it is. Thanks, Karen. Yeah. It's, uh, Thank you, Karen. Let me just add one thing, Harrison. That speaks to the proper use of denial, which is to deny the denial of truth, which is what this last question asks. We give up. <laughs> anyway, I'm com- I'm complete. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, I was just following up with what Karen was saying. Uh, on that little line that, Lord, you refer to, unlearning is the highest form of learning. Really struck a chord with me. Thank you. Thanks, Harrison. Thank you, Harrison. Thanks, Harrison. Harrison. I like I like the idea. Well, I know that my ego mind taught me I was helpless. My ego mind taught me I was a victim and, you know, a bad person, a sinner and all of those things. So I just loved that line because I have to unlearn what my ego mind taught me completely. Well, thank you, Karen. Thanks, Karen. And and uh, I think this is a good point at which to end the recording. So thanks to all who've been here sharing, listening, reading, and everyone who might listen in the future. Have a wonderful day. <laughs>